You know, we've been learning a lot about prayer, and I hope, uh, I hope that we've been praying a lot too. I hope that's been a side effect of learning a lot about prayer. Like we said when we began this series, asking the Lord to teach us to pray, we said sometimes we spend an awful lot of time talking about prayer and maybe not as much time praying. I think it's been important to understand, even as we've been through this, that, uh, that prayer is something that has to be taught and practiced. It's not automatic for anyone. There's, there's no one of us that has a natural gifting to pray. It's something that's, a, that's, that's grown in us through God's Word and through His Spirit and through the the, the dedication and discipline of our time, it's, it's a way that, it's something we grow into and we learn. It's just not something that's natural for us. And, and again, hopefully our desire has been that we would be praying more as we've been learning about prayer on Sunday mornings. Amy got me the greatest Christmas gift this year. Uh, it might have been greater for me than it was for her because it was an a invitation to an Indian comfort cooking demonstration, okay? So we got to go to this place and they had all these beautiful pictures and, and, and there was a, a professional chef there from an Indian background who prepared Indian dishes for us to demonstrate what that would look like. So uh, all the ca- cameras showed the pots and everything and, and she talked about the spices that she was using and where they came from and how they went. And it was, a, it was a wonderful demonstration. We got to not only see it, but we got to smell it as well too. I mean, the, the smell of the spice. And I thought, how horrible would it have been had we spent all that time watching her prepare these beautiful Indian dishes, talking about these beautiful Indian dishes, smelling these beautiful Indian dishes, and we said, well, that was good, and we went home. That really wouldn't have been disappointing, I'm just going to tell you. But instead, we got to taste it. We got to share in all of the things that were being provided for us. And again, my, my heart this past several months has been on Psalm 34. We've even used it in worship just last week. The idea of taste and seeing that the Lord is good. And when it comes to things like prayer, we know we're not just here to talk about prayer and talk about the teachings of Jesus on prayer, looking at the model prayer, looking at these parables on prayer. We're here to taste and see that the Lord is good. And we, we want to taste the goodness of prayer as, as well, too. When we've been talking about being very deliberate in our prayers. We've encouraged one another to write out prayers, to be intentional in having a special time every day dedicated to prayer, using a, a prayer list to help us stay focused. And even this last week, This kind of call to say when somebody asks you to pray for them, that you would just pray then. Just pray now. And i got to tell you, I don't know if I'm just more aware of this now, but I have seen this so much in even the life of our church. I've just even noticed this morning, uh, experiencing it myself and watching it in you, that, that as I walk through the lobby sometimes, I see two or three people praying together. And uh, so if that was because I asked you to, thank you. If it was something you were already doing, let me think it was something that I asked you to do and, and you did that. Just, just, just thank you. That's your gift to me uh, for that. But today, today really feels a lot like a final exam on prayer. It feels like in the parable that we're going to look at that there's this, this everything we've been talking about, everything that we have been learning gets revealed in this parable. So if you would, turn with me to Luke 18. Uh, We're going to begin where we left off last week in chapter 9. So if you would, turn with me to Luke 18. 
Uh, We're going to begin looking at verse 9. But as we do, let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that we can come today and worship you. Thank you that we can come and know you as Father because of what Christ has done for us. Thank you that you are the God who is over all and in all and through all. And our desire, even as we gather today, is for your name to be honored in all things. God, I pray that everything that we do just reflects the glory and honor that you are due. God, thank you. We want what you want. Help us to to desire your kingdom to come and for it to come soon. Help us to recognize our desperate and daily need for you in in all things, even even as we think about how to understand and apply this scripture to our lives. God, help us to be people who live out the good news of the gospel, being forgiving as we have been forgiven. God, I do pray that you would protect us. That until we are joined with you forever, we know we are still trying to kill the sin and temptation in our hearts. And God, we would just pray that you would help protect us today and that we would draw close to you and you would help us to read and understand and apply your word correctly. The way you would have us to. The way that would glorify you and transform our lives. In your heavenly name, amen. So let's look at Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. In verse 9, it says, Then Jesus told this story, a parable, to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. I love the way the ESV translates that, trusted and treated. Those who trusted in their own righteousness and treated others with scorn and contempt. Verse 10 says, Two men went to Jerusalem to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The translators in the NLT didn't want you to miss the fact that nobody liked the tax collectors. I'm not sure that there's any culture or time where people admire tax collectors, that they needed to make sure we understood that, but they wanted us to make sure that nobody liked tax collectors. Verse 10 says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters and sinners and adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's almost like this parable is a picture of all the things he warned us about in Matthew chapter 6. If you remember in Matthew chapter 6, there was the combination about praying so you would be seen. 
praying and using flowery and lofty words so people were thinking you were more righteous than you really are and, and how you would get your reward. That was the very first week that we talked about prayer and how interesting it is that now we're seeing this story, this parable, this example of what that looks like lived out. What does it look like when somebody is praying apparently to be seen? Someone is, is praying apparently using lofty language to demonstrate their own righteousness. What does that look like? But I've got to tell you, this is one of these upside-down comparison parables of Jesus. This is one of those parables that as the hearers are listening to it for the first time, there's a shock-surprise ending here. And that is in the sense that they would have naturally assumed the Pharisee was the hero of the story. I mean, these were the righteous people. These were the religious leaders. If there was anybody that knew anything about prayer, it was the Pharisees. It certainly could not have been the tax collector that turns out to be the hero of the story. Maybe for some of you, it reminds you of the, the oxymoron parable of the Good Samaritan. Same kind of way. There were all sorts of people that were expected to be the hero, the priest, the Levite, all those who came to see the man who had been beaten and left beside the road. But the Samaritan? The new living is consistent there. It even tells us it's the despised Samaritan that takes care. So there's an incredible flip here that's going on in the life of the hearers. There's an incredible contrast being played out. The person who they thought would be the model for prayer, the person that they thought they would look to and say, well, that's, that's obviously a picture of righteousness and God's example, and this is the person we should imitate. Jesus flips it on its head and say, no, it's the tax collector. It's the despised tax collector that's demonstrating what I want prayer to look like. What prayer is looking like, all the things he's been teaching us, all the things he's been showing us about about what to pray for and how to pray, all that gets demonstrated here in this parable that has an upside-down sort of comparison surprise ending. And as we look through this, I, I want you to see that our prayer life... Your prayers reveal your confidence and the condition of your heart. So your prayer life, the prayers that you pray, reveal what it is that you put your confidence in and the condition of our hearts. Talk about a final exam. Talk about being kind of put on on notice here in this parable. But in the contrast between the tax collector and the Pharisee, There's a picture here of what God wants our prayer to reflect. And it's not that of the righteousness of the Pharisees. I mean, this is, again, this is a beautiful parable for us because thankfully Jesus tells us right up front about how to understand the parable. We don't have to wonder what it means when he says, this is for those who have shown great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. It's amazing to me how those two things always go hand in hand. It's, it's, there's just something about our self-righteousness as human beings that we're just not always content to be self-righteous. We have to be self-righteous and be diminishing to other body, everybody around us. It's not just enough for us to be self-righteous, but we have to put down those around us for not being as righteous as us. And when we listen to the prayer of the Pharisees, listen, listen to it again. Who Remember when we talked about prayer earlier, we said who we pray to 
determines what we pray for. Listen to who the Pharisee is praying to. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers, I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. Now, God is casually mentioned in that prayer. But I'll, I'll dare say just casually mentioned in that prayer. The formality of praying to God seems to be what's included here because the subject of that prayer is I. The subject of that prayer, the focus of that prayer is me and who I am and what I have done. It's not like he's praying, God, I thank you for the way that you have provided this for me and protected me from this. God, I'm thankful for the way that you have given this to my life that I could generously give to all. You know, the focus of his prayer is himself. It's not about God. It's about Him. This call to to fast twice a week, the call to give a tenth of the income, the, the, the call of comparison of what He is and is not like shows us that this, this confidence that this person has is in themselves, in their own righteousness, and even in the picture of the prayer about the tax collector, that there was now scorn for everyone else. There was trust in their own righteousness and treating others with contempt. That is not the picture of the model prayer that Jesus has walked us through. Not by any means. It's, it's difficult to even call that a prayer except for the casual mention of God back in verse 11. There's not a sense of of any of the things that we thought about, whether it was talking about who God is and and where He is and for His holiness to be honored and, and, and a correct view of ourselves. I mean, isn't that one of the things that we said prayer really does is give us a correct view of ourselves? That is actually demonstrated in the, in the tax collector's prayer beginning in verse 13. The tax collector even sensed his own worthiness even being there at the temple. Stood at a distance, dared not even lift his eyes to heaven. Instead, in sorrow, beating his chest, prayed, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. What a contrast of focus of what this prayer looks like. For the the tax collector, he knew he had no confidence in himself whatsoever. He knew apart from receiving God's mercy, be merciful to me for I am a sinner, he had no hope whatsoever. He knew and understood as he prayed his relationship, his confidence, the condition of his heart. He knew he was a sinner and he desperately needed God's mercy. Those two things are are not nowhere to be found in in the prayer of the the Pharisee. A call for God's mercy and a desperate sense of of need. None of those things are there. And how interesting as it concludes, as Jesus teaches in 14, I tell you, the sinner, then call him the tax collector, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home 
justified before God. Justified is a, a powerful word for us in Scripture. It talks about the, the transformation that takes place in us, what the Holy Spirit does in, in applying Christ's work to our lives in such a way that we are now righteous before God. Not that we have ever done anything to be morally righteous before God, and it's not that we have been uh, uh, forgiven of all the... It's that when Jesus now... His, when his life is now applied to us, we are now declared innocent and not guilty of those sins. Not because of us, but because of what he has done. So the one who went home justified was the sinner, not the Pharisee. And then it seems there's a, a, a common phrase that Jesus might have used in many of his teachings. We even know this showed up in Luke 14 about being honored at a dinner and taking the right place in verses 8 through 11, that this picture of those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Possibly even for us, just a a wonderful picture moving forward of thinking about the life and ministry of Jesus himself. Thinking about what happened in in Philippians 2 that Paul talked about how he he who humbled himself will truly be exalted looking at the picture of Christ. So as we start to unpack this a little bit and think about how this prayer reveals our confidence, the condition of our hearts, it it causes us to ask that question, where is our confidence and, and, and what is the condition of our heart? And that's one of the reasons why I appreciated so much this little book that we, we, uh, we, we let you know about the very first week, and that's this Do You Pray book by J.C. Ryle. Again, it's only about 60 pages, 65 pages, but it begins with the question, do you pray? Because it's acknowledging the fact that our prayer demonstrates whether or not we are truly trusted in Christ or not. So as a matter of fact, it's impossible for us to trust in Christ apart from praying to Him and asking Him to forgive us. It's, it's apart from the kind of prayer that the tax collector prayed that, that without that kind of prayer, if we've never prayed, we really have to question whether or not we are truly believers or not. Now again, that doesn't mean that we don't need to grow in our, 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 our practice of prayer, our understanding of prayer. That's why we've wanted to do this over these last several weeks. But the real stern warning is if, we're, if we don't pray and if we've never prayed, we have to wonder about what that says about the conditions of our hearts and who and what we put confidence in. Because I think even as we think about this passage and other passages we looked at, that everything seems to begin with that idea of humbly, that we would pray humbly that the heart by which we approached prayer would be one of humility. There's a a picture here of a posture of humility being displayed in the tax collector, standing at a distance, not able to lift his eyes to heaven, beating his chest. There is a sense of desperation and need. And for, for us, we know that is where the heart of true prayer begins in a situation of desperation and need. Thinking back to the model prayer that Jesus taught, give us today our daily bread. A demonstration of need, of humble dependence, of a a posture that says, God, I desperately depend on you for absolutely everything. For for our hearts that beat, 
for the food that we eat, for everything about us, every moment of every day, there is never a day where we are depending on our own strength. Our strength is given to us completely daily as a gift from God. And we don't ever want to forget that. Because when we forget that, then suddenly the equation starts to get balanced in the wrong direction. And we find ourselves maybe praying prayers a little bit like the Pharisee. And we begin to put confidence on our own strength, in our own abilities, in the, in, in the things that we have and possess and think, well, obviously God has, you know, obviously God's given me, so these are, these are my things that God has provided. Instead of seeing humbly a posture of absolute and total dependence. And again, what a picture that both the first verse and the last verse of this section is a picture of, of this call to humility, this, this warning against those who had great confidence in their own righteousness in verse 9, and then the warning in 14 against those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What a reminder for us that it is, it is the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that, that enables us to pray. I mean, we thought about that when we talked about the Lord's Prayer, calling Him our Father in heaven. We recognize that apart from Christ's work on the cross, we have no ability even to come to God this way. But in this humility to understand, the only reason the tax collector was able to go away justified because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus has done. Jesus is the justifier. It's not the moral perfection that brings about justification. It's what Christ has done alone on our behalf. So we have no position to stand in other than in a position of humility and gratitude. So we always want to make sure when we think about are our prayers truly demonstrating our confidence and the condition of our hearts, we always want to ask ourselves the question, am I praying humbly? Am I praying from the right posture? Am I praying from the right position? Unlike those Matthew 6 folks who just prayed so they could be seen by others with flowery words, am I praying with a sense of desperation and need and humility? So as I I think about my prayers, I want to pray humbly. Secondly, I I want us to see that even as we look at this passage and think about the others, that that we've been really looking at a call to pray habitually, a continual act, a continual mindset of, of prayer. That we have said prayer is not natural for any of us. It is a Discipline that must be developed. You know, I know sometimes we we push back on the idea of discipline, but we recognize that there are spiritual disciplines that need to grow and flourish in our lives. We know when it comes to our justification, that is completely and totally an act of God. You and I, our effort is not appropriate, welcomed, or necessary when it comes to our justification. Likewise, in our glorification, we're we're made perfect and Christ returns and we go to heaven and we are restored to that perfect condition. We have no effort whatsoever in that. But in the middle time, while we're waiting on His return, while we're praying until His kingdom comes, there is a role in our sanctification for our human effort. It works, in, in, it works with the Spirit and, and His Word to help grow these disciplines in our lives. I, 
I really think it, it's a lot like when those of you who learned musical instruments, you know that, that learning a musical instrument was, could have been very difficult at first, maybe even difficult for your hearers uh, as well as you were learning a, a musical instrument. I, I remember both our sons learned musical instruments and especially when they were learning uh, the trombone and the trumpet. I just remember how joyous it was when I heard Paint It Black by the Rolling Stones coming from the basement on the trombone, right? I mean, that was like, I suffered through so many scales to finally hear Paint It Black or the opening trumpet line to the Chicago song Saturday in the Park. When I heard that echoing out of the basement, I'm like, finally, yes, yes. No more up on the housetops and no more, you know, no more when they learn to play the piano, those, no more just playing the black keys and no more, you know, it was so wonderful to hear things that I recognized. But, but the truth was none of them got there and none of us get there overnight. And, and what has to happen when we pray habitually is we, we have to, to pray habitually and continually in such a way that there will be a day when this discipline becomes our delight. There, there will be a day when the discipline and the habit becomes our, our, our most favorite thing. I was talking to a group of guys a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about food. Of course, that's, it seems like you know, it's either sports or food, I guess, for guys. We were talking about food at this time. And we were talking about, you know, what are the things that give us joy? And we were using the word desserts. And I was, I was, you know, what, you know, you know, why do we look forward to dessert? And why do we have dessert? It's extra, it's special, it's, it's, it's something we look forward to. And I was talking to a young man who's doing campus ministry, and he said, you know, I, I wanted to develop the habit of praying for the campus that I minister to every day. So every day I get up, you know, he says he gets up at 6, and we know that no campus is up before 11. But he was, he was up at 6, and he said, I would walk and pray around the campus every day. That became my discipline and my habit. And he said, now it's the most favorite thing I do every day. It's the, that, that stillness to be alone with the Lord and to share my, my, my prayer and to ask for his mercy, to ask for his guidance. And I thought, that is really where we want to go with the discipline of prayer. We want to go to the point where it becomes such a beautiful habit for us that it truly leads to delight. It truly leads to joy. I know for some of you, maybe if the idea of establishing a daily prayer time or a daily script, you know, and let me just be honest, I think I could ask most of you to have a daily Bible reading time and, and, and you could make that work. But there's something about having a daily time of prayer that's a little challenging for us. And I think part of that is because it feels so unproductive. Now hang with me. In our mindset, sometimes it feels like when I read Scripture, I have a start and a finish and I have an accomplishment. But when I'm coming before God in prayer, sometimes, if we're honest, it feels not very productive. It feels... You know, our minds wander. It's difficult for us to stay. But, but it's only through the continual coming to Him in prayer and in a, in a habitual way that we'll ever get to the point where it's our most favorite thing we look forward to. And if, if, if you're sitting here thinking, I don't know if I can ever get there. Well, I didn't think I would ever enjoy the sounds of my children playing musical instruments either. But it could be the most beautiful thing you ever hear. 
beautiful thing you ever see and participate in when we fight through sort of the early years of... I know uh, um, uh, Donald Whitney, uh, who wrote the book Spiritual Disciplines, uses an opening illustration about disciplines. Discipline without direction is drudgery. And it's true. It's true that, that fighting through habits, fighting through these sort of things initially can be difficult. But oh, the joy that is there for you when the habit of daily prayer, of working through a prayer list, when having the consistency to see how God's been working through the answering of prayer and the moving in people's lives through, to praying with somebody, when those things become our habit, what a delight prayer is for us. Prayer ceases to be a drudgery that your pastor is complaining about asking you if you're doing it every day and becomes the most longing thing that you look forward to and you think, I, I cannot wait to my next time of prayer. I cannot wait until my idle thoughts will go naturally to thanking God, recognizing me as Father, seeing that I want his name to be honored, wanting his kingdom to come, wanting to recognize the daily dependence I have on him, wanting, wanting to recognize how desperately I need, even in the ability to resist temptation. Then my habits, then my habits are new and different. My habits are not drudgery, but my habits become my delight. And that's really what I pray as we think about these last six weeks that we've been looking through some of these prayers, that these would be a delight for us, that these would be the, the, the things in our lives that we long for and we look forward to. And thirdly, I feel like as we, as we look at this passage and this, this picture of, of the tax collector and the Pharisee and what we learn about prayer here, I think there's something here about praying very hopefully that when we pray that our prayers would, would be hopeful, that, that what prayer does is it reorients our hope. That coming to the Lord and laying our prayers to, before the Lord reorients the things that we look at as our hope. Because sometimes early on, maybe we have to be honest about what it is that we're praying for. Maybe there are things that are not good for us. Maybe we pray for things sometimes that really don't reflect God's best for us. And it's through prayer and through the hopefulness of prayer as we lift these things to him that God reorients our hopes in the process so our hopes line up with his. Ultimately, that's what we want to have happen in prayer. We're not trying to convince and change God's mind. We're praying that our mind is changed to be more and more like his in this pray. So what we hope for, we want to match to be the things that he longs for us to hope for as well too. We want to, to pray in alignment with these things. And it again gets me thinking that sometimes my prayers really just focus on my personal safety and security. Maybe it's just me. It sometimes seems like when I'm praying, I'm praying for my safety, my security, and my things. Maybe I don't sound always as bad as the Pharisee, but there might be way too much I in my prayer sometimes. Instead, what am I praying for? 
mean, that was a question we've been wrestling with. What, am I, what are the things I should pray for? What are the petitions that I need? And I sometimes wonder, instead of praying for my safety and security, maybe I should be praying for my resilient dependency. Maybe I should be praying to be resilient in difficulty. Maybe I should be praying that God would express to me every single day how desperately I need to trust in Him and in Him alone. Maybe, maybe He needs to take away the things that I have built up, that I have put my confidence and my trust in, because I know when I do that, it leads me to treat other people with contempt. And I know that's not a good idea. Maybe it's praying hopefully, for things like, God, your will be done. God, your will be done in this situation as it is in heaven. God, may your name be honored above all else in this situation, through this job, through this relationship, through this time. God, I want to I pray hopefully, not always just for my own safety and security, but f- to want what you do. You know, we sometimes talk about that. God, help me to want what you do. And that's a reorienting of our hope. That's a reorienting of the things that we're, we're praying for. We're no longer praying for the things that we think will, will make us happy, but we're praying for the things in which we pour our hope, and that is the one true and living God who knows all and is all and through all and who reveals himself to us through his word and through his spirit. And he has given us the gift. He's given us the invitation to pray, asking, seeking, knocking, coming to him at all times in all ways. See, prayer reveals where our confidence is and the condition of our hearts. And we want our hearts to reflect the glory of God. We want our hearts to reflect our desperate and daily dependence on Him. We want our heart to reflect the kind of attitudes and desires that we see listed for us in that Lord's sample prayer, the disciples' prayer. So, so here's, the last, here's the last bit of homework. I, I realize I already piled on with John 13 this week, but I'm going to give you one last bit of a prayer homework as we think about this. I would love it if today you would pray about praying. Now hang with me here, all right? I would love it if you would pray about praying. I think sometimes we always think of praying after the effect or, 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 or praying at another time. Instead of saying, God, I, help me to pray this week. As, we, as you think about your designated times, as you think about your prayer list this week, as you think about the things that you want to pray for, I, I would I would ask that today you would, you would pray about those things. That you would demonstrate the kind of dependence that would say, God, I need to even pray about praying. I don't, I don't want to put any confidence in myself, in my own self-discipline to, to pray every day and to pray my prayer list every day and to meet with others. I, I don't even want to put that much confidence in myself. I don't even want to put that much planning in my week before I've prayed. I, I want to pray First, even about something as critical as prayer. God, teach me to pray. Help me to pray. 
help give me a time of prayer this week that's daily, that's focused, that, that even if some days this week feels like a little bit of, oh boy, here we go, drudgery. God, I pray that you will work through your spirit and your word through that time and you will help my time with you through prayer become a delight, become what I long for, become what I look forward to. So pray about prayer this week. Look at your week ahead. Think about those prayer lists. Think about who you might want to pray for this week. And then pray about that. God, help me. I'm dependent on you. I want to pray dependent, humble, habitual, and hopeful prayers. Lord, teach me to pray this week and make it my delight. God, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege of being able to pray. God, please forgive us when we have taken it for granted. Please forgive us when we have not looked forward to it and longed for it and and made the most of that opportunity. God, forgive us when we've taken it for granted. God, I do pray that you would help us to pray. I pray that you would help us to be mindful of you every day that our thoughts would go to you in designated times of prayer, but also throughout the day that we would, we would pray continually. We would recognize our dependence on you. We would recognize how much we need you for absolutely everything and how we want to have your perspective in every area of our life. God, help us to be people of prayer. Help us to be a church that prays not just for ourselves and one another, but also for those around us, for the cars that drive by this facility, for the the folks who live in the neighborhoods around us, for the folks who live in the neighborhood around our homes, for the folks we interact with on a daily basis through the routine of our lives. God, help us to pray. And then help us to pray about prayer. Help us to want what you do. That we might live with true hope for who you are and all that you have done. In your heavenly name, amen.